Tavern, welcome to all you wobbling goblins and all you dorky orcs. I'm Grognard the Young, the Young Grognard, coming at you locked, loaded, and live with the podcast. I got two guests on this episode. We got a good budget for this one. I hired a couple of cronies to come in tonight. One of them you may know from the last episode. Uh, Ryan, was it? Growl. Could you say that to the microphone? But like more ASMR-ish? Alright, well, the microphone's over here. But anyway, uh, and I also am joined by Jared. So, Jared, you haven't been on in, uh, what, 17 episodes? Give or take, yeah. Yep, solid. How you been? I, I've been good. I expect my uh, Fago payment in advance, so... Well, we, we deal in Judd here. I think Judd and Fago might actually have a deal going on, but... Oh, I cannot wait for that new combo blend. That is going to be so nice to add to my collection. Is it Judd-Go or Fey Judd? It's literally just Juggalo. <laughs> oh my god, Juggalo! <laughs> yeah, it's Juggalo. My I, fantasies have come true. Yo, I'm not going to lie. Juggalo was... That, that's, I think we can end the podcast right here. Good night, everybody! It's been good. But, okay. Brian, how you doing? Sick. All right. Anyway, so onto the podcast. So we got three more questions for you. We're still working on this campaign setting. Still doing the thirty day world challenge here. Uh, we got three questions up for grabs today, and the first question is a doozy. So the first question is: What iconic monsters exist in this world? Now, I know we talked last time about the evil groups, and it sounded like they were pretty much all like. Humanoids, you know, if I can use that term. I know it's 2020, but humanoids, I think, right? I don't imagine there's any bestial members of those groups. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say so. And so, for that reason, when we're talking about iconic monsters, I don't know if we're talking about monster with, like, a capital M, like, monstrosities, or if we're just talking the general, like... Like, would an orc be considered a monster in you guys' book? I mean, an evil ruler would be a monster as well. I, I'd consider an orc a monster. <laughs> You what? Eric? I, I would consider an orc a monster. Well, see, because that, yeah. that's where it gets weird, is because then it's like, well, if I play the goblin character, does that mean I'm playing a monstrous character? You know yeah. what I mean? You, you think so? Yeah. All right, well, in that well, case... Well, I mean, depending on the setting. I mean, well, that's true, and that's why in this, I guess we could nail down, would orcs and goblins and stuff be considered monstrous in this setting? Because when we, and not to mention, when we talk about iconic monsters exist in the world, I don't know if they're saying, like, which monsters are sort of, like, the hallmark monsters of this setting. Yeah. And I think if we are to take the question that way, I think dragons would probably be, like, up there on the list, just because their nature as, right. as a political member and, like, you know, creators of magic and all that other stuff. But... As far as, like, ones that would be unique to this game, I mean, we could even come up with a specific kind of dragon variant. Like, we could come up with our own style of dragons that... I mean, I know there's gem dragons, which I don't know if you guys know about those things, but, like, gem dragons being the ones that are psionic variants, where it's like, right. like there's an amethyst dragon, and yada, yada, yada. They all live, like, underground or in the ocean or whatever. 
But maybe there would be room to make an argument for, like, I don't know, a different kind of variant on them. Maybe even just go for, like, I don't want to say, like, an element, but have, well... I don't know. You could do something like an like a like a rock dragon. You know what I mean? Kind of like how hill giants are just mm-hmm. like you know what I mean? Like naming giants by their variant from where they live. You could even do something like that. Like have sea dragons. I know there's like dragon turtles, but you know what I'm saying? Have like a right. sea dragon or like a cloud dragon or something. That could be kind of neat to say that like I don't know. They're almost icons of the realm as being sort of like these mysterious monstrous beasts, you but a seasonal dragon. That's that, true. That could be like an fun. autumnal dragon. Yeah, and then you have your spring dragon. Like a, that's sort of how like they almost like mark the seasons in certain mm-hmm. areas. That's true. It's like considered like good luck to see one at the start of a season. That's true, and they could even almost be considered to be like bringers of a season. Yeah. And you know, honestly, that's also kind of interesting because it plays on the concept of time, which is pretty important to this setting. So it'd be kind of cool to think of those dragons as being like temporal dragons. Yeah. Have like. Ooh, that could be interesting. Have a certain dragon variant that, like, slows down time. One that speeds things up and, like, dimension hops like that. Mm. That's kind of cool. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm cool with that. But I know a lot of people think dragons can be kind of boring and bland. So one thing I thought of earlier is that, like, the idea that... Um, because we were talking before about that evil organization that plays around with dimensional hopping and, like... Uh, plays around with uh, uh, leaving the uh, the material plane and how that kind of messes with the time loop. Yep. I was thinking about how there could be monsters that sort of accumulate over time in in their, like, sort of what happens when things return from their dimensional travel. So if a human goes through and, like, leaves the dimension, they come back, but in, like, almost, like, maybe a different timeline or something like that, and they come back as some sort of, like, aberrational mutated being or something like that have it be the case that, like, certain kinds of monsters are actually what happens when... Like, imagine an owl bear is actually just what happens when an owl and a bear both have been transported through time or through the dimensions, and it just so happens that they came back as one lumped-together mutated creature. Right. You know what I mean? The idea that, like, maybe a beholder is just some weird mutated variant on, like, an octopus or something like that, and that all aberrations, apart from mind flayers, or lithids, if you want to go that way could just be, like, things that went through and came back, but people don't know that that's where they come from. And so people of the realm, in whatever time setting, just have no idea that that's what they become. And instead, they just sort of pop up where nobody's looking and just, like, are this mysterious, weird force. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that that's kind of neat. Jared, you got any ideas on this? I, the seasonal dragons, that, that would be a great idea, I think. You know, I think, I can't remember which dragon it is in specific, but there's one that reminds me of, like, an autumnal dragon, but there's one, I I don't, I think it's, I don't want to say it's a, uh, I can't remember the exact name, but I think it's in the Forgotten Realms, but it's one that's got, like, a barb on its face that it punctures trees and, like, slurps sap with it, and they're, like, weirdly peaceful, but they're just, like, this big tree-sucking thing, and they're not, like, aggressive, but when I think of a seasonal dragon, I think of them almost behaving like that. Right. Where they're not like an elemental fire-breathing thingamajigger, but instead they're more of just like a beast that lives in its season and makes sense of it. So, I mean, does anything speak to you, Jared, about like how you could like design a seasonal dragon? I'm... <laughs> I put you on the spot. Yeah, you put me on the spot here. <laughs> I mean, it's I'm not prepared for these kind of harsh questions. Well, because it's neat to think, like, if they're the heralds of seasons, 
then it could be the case that, like, a winter dragon literally just causes foliage to, like, wilt and wither. Oh, I guess that'd be the autumnal dragon, right? Yeah. It would cause, like, leaves to just kind of dry out and, like, fall off trees and whatnot. Like, a spring dragon could cause new life to grow wherever it goes. I don't know if they, um, the... Summer dragons cause a harvest to bloom, like, plants right. come to fruit, yeah. But I, I'd almost say, like, maybe they're almost, like, they have, like, a symbiotic relationship with just the people who live there as well. Almost like how, like, you need bees to pollinate plants, like you need to have a spring dragon or a summer dragon or like a fall dragon or a winter dragon to come through and like actually force the cycle or not even force but like help along like maybe fall dragons help ripen certain crops and if they don't come through then you're not going to have good apples and pumpkins that year you know you know i'm, I'm going to take that idea and i'm going to i'm going to try a different angle on it because i like where you're going with that but i think what would be kind of neat is the idea that maybe that's what people attribute the seasons to and they think that the dragons are the ones who are doing it but in reality they don't have that much of a handle in it maybe know, they're yeah. like they, they cause it just by all being there at the same time there's like a draconic magnetism amongst them that sort of like the seasons happen because they're all in the plane at the same time mm-hmm. that it naturally like balances out equally you know what i mean for 90 days for each one of them but what i think would be kind of neat is you could explain fantasy landscapes because of it so when you have a random desert in the middle of like a landscape it could be the case that like a certain one of the seasonal dragons never went through there or hasn't gone through there right. or the one that was there has been killed and so for that reason, certain areas are affected by it. Like a place of permanent winter, like some random forest that's just frozen over, mm-hmm. could just be the case that, like, I don't know, like a winter dragon has, I don't know, in some way not left this place for too long, and it's sort of like, I don't know, left too much of a watermark on the uh, on the page. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I think kind of cool. disturb the balance. Right. And I that's pretty neat to think about. No, my question then is, would these sort of dragons be like, I don't know, big giant there's only a few of them or would they be sort of elusive and they're like there are only a few of them but they're like just so hard to come by that people don't even know if they're really real or not yeah i'd say um that i don't know that's a tough call because if if we make them prevalent enough it almost makes them kind of lose their effect right if we make them so rare then they become a piece of mythos and then it's not really like right something we can tap into. So I, I feel like they should almost be as prevalent as the other kinds of dragons, just they don't have a fixed layer that could be found very easily. Like, right. they don't make themselves known. And maybe, maybe, they're actually able to, like... You know how some creatures in the game can kind of, like, blend into shadows? They, like, literally, like, melt into right. things? That's what I was kind of imagining, cool. is they just sort yeah. of, like... If like, they the just autumn dragon, maybe... Literally just falls into a pile of leaves yeah. and can pop out of a different one. Yeah. So, like, their layer is just in a different, like, time space. Like, they don't like appear... Like a dimension. Right. That'd be kind of neat, too, to think that they're almost kind of like dryads with trees where they can come out, yeah. but they can't leave their general zone. That's neat. Yeah, I think that would make some interesting imagery, like a summer dragon sort of like slowly emerging from a rolling green hill. Sure. Or the, like the fall dragon, like just like melding out of the fall leaves that have yet to fall from the trees and just like all the golds and reds and stuff and it just like comes out and it's like, oh, that was a dragon. That would explain, you know, that's really neat. Now, um, before we continue further with the dragons, because I think there's room to say that you could have, you know, like dragons of speed or like uh what's the word for, what's the fancy word for that electricity you know what i mean like ale, ale, i don't know 
Young Grognard does not have a good vocabulary. Mm. Um, but I will say that I think what would be kind of neat, too, and I talked about this on, a, uh, on an episode not too long ago, the Flip This Race one, where I talked about taking good races and making them evil. Yo, fuck it. Iconic monster of the realm. The dragonborn are the product of, like, the infighting of the dragons. And it's the idea that they're sort of like them being in conflict with one another. Enough dragon blood sort of tainted the soil of certain lands, and people were born looking like the dragons. Maybe that magical mutations, magic, magic irradiation, sort of like a disease that people pop out like that. Sort of like tieflings come out, you know what I mean? Right. That it's like, in some way, shape, or form, somebody at some time had that happen. Maybe people who have a direct lineage, uh, like gaining their magic powers from dragons could have, like, Dragonborn as children or something. I know a lot of people like Dragonborn being player characters, but tell me they don't make for really cool, like, villainous races. Like, Dragonborn right. just, like... You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, they just... They have that look where they could easily be, like, the evil big bad guy. Right. In a, in a lot of cases, this is where the debate comes up of half-dragons versus Dragonborn. And I think we could just end and squash the debate and say they're the same thing in this setting, and Dragonborn are considered just evil only because they're disliked by everybody. It'd be like if you said half-orcs were generally leaning towards neutrality and evil in most campaign settings, only because they're so disliked from everybody. You know what I mean? Right. And I but, think um, that kind of plays really well with the whole like um kind of like just that the realm is sick and that like the sickness is causing like these kind of strange aberrations to be born to appear all that kind of stuff like you could re-fluff a lot of monsters and creatures and races as like things that probably didn't exist maybe the first you 200 know, loops and like now was, that we're like getting so far into it there was a cool argument i mean or, or a thing somebody not to cut you off but somebody said it before i forget it somebody said one time that goblins in their campaign setting were actually halflings that had separated from their god and that they're for that reason like the same stature they just look like evil halflings right, right. and i kind of love the idea that what if orcs are literally just like i don't know mutated I don't know, ones that, like, humans that kind of come back every other loop or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to do that because that kind of limits the capacity of evil gods, but I don't know. I mean, I think it's an interesting idea to, to try to take those sorts of things and make them into the mutated versions that make it back on another loop. You know what I mean? But, um... Yeah, I don't. Uh, I also like the idea that the Dragonborn could probably be like in cahoots with that evil magic organization we were talking about, mm -hmm. and have them just naturally fall in line there and suggest that like that's a group that doesn't judge based on race. They judge based on like power and like what you can accomplish. And because the Dragonborn are for what they're worth, supposed to be haughty and confident, not unlike dragons, they probably feel like it's their duty and their heritage to like take over and have that kind of power right. so when there's a group that says we don't care about customs and laws we want to just accomplish this goal and we'll do whatever it takes that feels like an evil dragonborn credo you know what i mean yeah and it would seem pretty easy to make them kind of like fall in line with them because if everyone else hates you and this one group's like hey no you're cool with us <laughs> then okay yeah we're we're gonna hang out with you guys and they're like go kill like, these people especially if they see success from it so I, yeah. I think that brings us to the next question that we got here and the next question is who dominates the political spheres of the world and frankly I think and I know some campaign settings already kind of do this but I think we should just go full out and say 
the two major groups that would be in the most control here would either be dragons, who are just like outwardly in charge of certain societies because they feel like it's their place to do so, mm-hmm. or magic users and like clerics and stuff that are just at a high enough level of magic practice that they can, I don't know, move legions like that. You know what I mean? Right. I know that's kind of a cop-out because that's usually how people judge who should be in charge, but I think the idea that like powerful wizards almost like dragons have that like that confidence and that drive to them to conquer and take over that it almost seems like perfect for us in a world where wizards are basically like dragon acolytes that they would be the ones to say that like in honor of their draconic heritage they conquer an entire human kingdom you know what i mean or become warlord of a certain people Mm -hmm. just to show their prowess and show their dominance over the other humans you know what i mean the other mutants i think um that would probably play pretty well coming away from like the age of courage and all that stuff too where um the that those kinds of like feats of strength and stuff were still have like a lot of sway sure and like can hold a populace's opinion right or sway it pretty heavily or even honor on its own regard that somebody could become king just because like I don't know. That, I don't know. They're a good person who does good things, and they got voted in. Right. But now we're in an age where kingdoms are constantly at war and fighting for the same resources. So the guy who can lob fireballs with a flick of his wrist is probably going to win the political vote simply because he burned the other guy to death. Right. So it almost seems like it's a age of courage turning into an age of ability, where it's just a matter of like the strong will conquer and survive, right. and nobody on the other side is going to stop them unless they can. You know what I mean? But do you have any sort of ideas, Jared? No, that that all pretty much lines up because the magic user, like you said, is there's no one who's going to be able to touch the strong, like one of the strongest magic users, and then or the dragons, which right. it has the same feel to it. Which and something I think that it's kind of a cool idea to play off of for that is the idea that like maybe those kinds of high level wizards are almost themselves worshipped in a way, as if they're almost like deific in a sense where. Like, a wizard who's 20th level and can, like, literally call meteors from the sky might have the ability to be sort of revered as, like, a saint in their own right. Mm-hmm. That somebody could come close enough to becoming draconic and, like, mastering the magics of dragons to the point that, you know what I mean? They almost seem superhuman for that reason. Right. So, I think that that plays in kind of interestingly, that they almost become clerics in their own regard, you know what I mean? But, okay. I mean, did you guys want to do the last question? It's a pretty easy one. No. Yes. All right, good night, everybody. <laughs> All right, Jared, Jared can stay. Ryan leaves the room. But uh, the last question is, how safe is it to travel in your world? So I thought about this when I was driving over here, and I was thinking to myself that this is such one of those questions that, I don't know, you're going to pick the middle option. And I feel like the problem with making a campaign setting of your own is that if all you do is pick the middle option – it's going to be boring as heck, and it's literally right. just going to be average. So it's like, if you say, well, it's dangerous, but not always, like, fucking, that, that's your commute to work. Like, is your commute to work safe? Like, sometimes, but not always, you know? So I guess, do we want to bite the bullet and say either it is very safe to travel, or do we want to say that, like, the outside world is very dangerous? But, I mean, you could also do a take on it where, it, depending on which kind of, like, seasonal dragon area you're in, each one could be more dangerous. That's true. So, like, going through winter, yeah, it's super dangerous. The winter dragons might attack. 
where, where like summer, okay, yeah, rolling hills, you're pretty safe. Or even not like directly attacked, but maybe the winter dragons are just a bit more capricious. And like, right. if you were beset by bandits in the summer, maybe just before the bandits were gonna jump out, like, um, the, suddenly we get like a little cloudy and like a huge rainstorm would come down, and like you'd stop and camp for a bit just before you came around the bend into those bandits. Are, like, uh, they almost, like, influence right. its, its in a, subtle in a, way. In almost a fate-ish kind of yeah. way, where it's like they represent luck. Yeah. Where it's like, it's hard to tell if draconic magic was afoot or not. You know what I mean? Whereas... It's in, like, if we didn't know... If that snowstorm didn't come in, we would have all left and gotten caught in the middle of that right. raid. So, yeah. So I, like, I mean, that's pretty interesting to think about. Maybe you're less likely to be beset by human... Uh, or like sentient creatures during like summer and you're more likely to be beset by beasts but in the winter you're more protected from beasts and more likely to be set by humans stuff like that so like oh people have almost realized by now and they sort of set out with that in mind that like in the summer you're going to be taking nets and cages and like whips and things to keep ferocious creatures out of range and in the winter you're going to be taking like anti-personnel weapons swords and all that stuff right right i mean it, it does make me think that certain regions would probably have to face this more which right. is why you'd have things like a quote-unquote bitter north you know what i mean where like winter dragons make the winter that much more deadly and difficult you know right. what i mean just because that's where they all hang out and that's why it is the bitter north you know what i mean yeah like, so your likelihood of encountering a, a winter dragon that feels the need to i don't know fuck around with the travelers is probably higher but if you go to like the desert i mean you'll never have to encounter a winter dragon at all you know what i mean right. and if you do it's not a thing that matters at all you know what i mean but um I guess to make the question a little bit more of like a world building one, I think that we can bring this to a political sphere too and say like, if this is an age where might makes right, I think it's a cool idea that like, especially in the decline of kingdoms, where like being a king doesn't matter and having laws doesn't matter, the jurisdictions of your quote unquote land or, or your duchy or wherever you're from, the idea that that sort of like falls out and people aren't, I don't know, representing, a, uh, uh, sorry, respecting a king's... Uh, claim, I guess, would right. be the word. It's an interesting idea that, like, there would be just roving bandit clans or there would be, like, bandit kingdoms or, like, sovereign groups that just decided they want to have their own land and for that mm -hmm. reason they just pop up and say, like, I mean, we've got a band of a hundred dwarves, we started our own settlement, we're not paying taxes and there's very little you can do about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, because in this world setting you can kind of just, the bandit camps can just take what's theirs. That, right. That's what they do. And it's and like anyone can do that. And it's like if you live in a kingdom that's decently well off enough that like your king actually does something about it, then that could be fine. But you could also be from a kingdom where you have some weakling king who's only there because I don't know, they have enough money to be there. And if the dwarves pay him off, he doesn't care and he pretends like, oh no, you should go kill him and this that. You know what I mean? Right. So I, I do think that that's an interesting take on that as well. Um, and I do like the idea that it, it makes more of a like a might makes right kind of thing, where certain kings are feared because of their their ability and their prowess, but other kings are almost pushovers, and that's why those kingdoms sort of get eaten up by whomever in the area is able to challenge them. Forces inside and out, yeah. Right, and it, I think that that adds quite a level of intrigue to this. You know what I mean? It adds an extra level of political intrigue where certain kingdoms might be like in cahoots with one another for a general purpose of maybe eliminating a rival kingdom but i like the idea that this is a land of like a thousand kings but nobody respects one of them and none of them respect each other you know what i mean very romance of the three kingdoms china yeah. all that stuff where it's 
so many things happening. Yeah, I, I think that that's a pretty good one. Just a lot of different warlords all trying to sort of say that they're the number one and their claim to the just total throne makes the most sense. And I like the idea also that, I mean, I know this has barely anything to do with how safe it is to travel at this point, but I like also the idea, just spitballing off what you're going off of, one thing I thought of for a campaign a long time ago, well, actually, it was probably last year, but was the idea that, like, a sign of kingship is to either be befriended by a dragon or to be mm. the master of a dragon. So, like, certain kings or lords who want to, like, establish clout will just, like, roll out with a dragon on a big chain and be like, this bitch don't fuck with me. You don't fuck with me neither. You know what I mean? Or, like, gangs of bandits who happen to have a dragon on their side could just, like, people would be swayed into joining them. You know what I mean? Yep. But I like the idea that it is difficult to travel in these areas simply because, like, how tumultuous the political system is. That if you're an elf in human lands and all of a sudden the new king got assassinated by the old king... And, I don't know, all of a sudden now elves aren't allowed anymore because elves did the old king bad. You know what I mean? Yeah, slavery's like back that, in a big way. Yeah, right? It's so like, the idea that it's like, it can be dangerous depending on where you are because yep. things shift enough that it could be, yeah. Especially the idea that, like, politically speaking, in order for certain kingdoms to survive, they might have to have that kind of tight grip and be like, no dwarves allowed without paperwork. Like, right. unless you have signed papers that say you're here on the king's accord, dwarves are not allowed because of what happened 100 years ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like that. And that seems very much playing into the idea of kings who are afraid ruling with an iron fist rather than kings who are successful and peaceful where they, like, allow stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, did you have anything else you wanted to add to this? I mean, with it being so dangerous to travel and stuff, it does make sense that, like, the mercenaries are, like, kind of scarce, too, because who would want to travel when it's always going to be dangerous? Not to mention that, like, it, it, again, the idea that there's so, like, such a reluctant choice as your choice of protection, because, I mean, who's to say that these fuckers aren't the same ones who are going to stab you in the back when you're on the road? You know what I mean? Because, like, everybody's out here for money and for land and for something to bring back home to their family, so what's the difference between a bandit and a mercenary other than being able to walk in town and not show your colors? You know what I mean? Right. So, I do like how that feels, and that does feel pretty ruthless. But, yeah, I mean... Other than Ryan ruining the episode by coughing into the mic, I yep. think we're all set. I finally did it, guys. <laughs> I made good radio. Um, but yeah, so uh, I think we're all set. I know we didn't give the uh, in, uh, the shout out in the beginning to the. Uh, oh yeah. We didn't do that, but I think that it's fine that we go ahead and give another splat at the end of the episode if you'd like to go ahead and do that. Yeah. So um, I know I mentioned the last episode, but. Uh, Everyone over at uh, College Humor recently got laid off, um, and the company still exists right now, but is in kind of a tumultuous state, so any way you can show support to them or any of their projects would be great. Keep an eye out for what uh, the people who used to work there are working on now. Um, check out their YouTube series and videos. Uh, subscribe to Dropout if you feel inclined and like what you see on YouTube. Um, they have some really, really good um, Dungeon Dragons content. They have podcasts about it. They have live play shows with like a bunch of different guests. They have a great recurring live weekly game on Twitch, um, all under the Dimension 20 moniker. So check that out if you haven't. I think you'll probably really enjoy it. All right. And Jared, did you have anything you wanted to plug? 
God, no. Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Oh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, January season 3, 24. January 24th, catch me there. You know, at this point, I'm almost looking to just jump in on this, and I'm going to start plugging it before you guys can, but do, like, the worst job describing Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Be like, yo, the new season got so many Jedi in it, and baby <laughs> Yoga's in it, too. Oh, man, it's dope. Gonna need at least four bottles of Fago to get through that whole season. Binge watching. Let's go. You know what? Okay. Uh, well, anyway, I'm Grognard, the young, the young Grognard. Uh, DMs appreciate players. Players appreciate your DMs. Goodbye. I'm sick.